0: Hi, my name is Bob Finkel. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the chairman of the Jewish Federation of Northeastern New York. Can you all hear me? Okay, so um, I've got the, the season going on, so if I cough a little bit. Please forgive me. Um, I want to thank Andy and Congregation Beth Emmett for partnering with us, as he said, and allowing us uh, them to allow us to host our event here at Beth Emmett this evening. We've got many distinguished people here tonight to speak to you about our security. It's a month ago that the tragedy happened in Pittsburgh that brought about this evening, and I know from the Pittsburgh uh, listening into some federal uh, to the FBI briefings in Pittsburgh, we had some conference calls. The work that these people do is just it's outstanding and it's amazing and so forth. We've also got our distinguished Professor Burke, who I saw speak here just two short weeks ago, uh, and we're lucky to have him here as well this evening. Um, so I thank that, thank him for that. We've got uh, Hank Greenberg here, who's gonna guide us through the evening. I'm gonna read a little bit. Hank has a long and distinguished bio, but for the purpose for tonight's program, for the purpose of tonight's program and to get us out of here at a reasonable hour, I'll only highlight that Hank is the president-elect of the New York State Bar Association, a former president of Temple, Beth, uh, Temple Israel here in Albany, and he has published on, on and lectured about anti-Semitism. So without further ado, it's all yours.
1: Thank you. thank you, Bob, and I want to thank everyone for being here tonight. This is a special night in the life of our community, coming together like this, and... Um, I would be remiss, though, when you're going to hear from the best of the best in law enforcement in just a few minutes, in addition to Dr. Burke, but not only the speakers that are here, but law enforcement has come out in great numbers as a show of respect and a show of solidarity. So allow me, if I could, just to recognize um, some of the law enforcement officers who are here tonight who won't be speaking, but we can't express our gratitude enough that you would come and be here this evening. Uh, We have Chief Eric Hawkins of the Albany Police Department. Um, So we have quite a few, so let's hold our applause until we get to the end. We all deserve a standing ovation. Um, Mike Ivins, the Public Safety Commissioner for the City of Schenectady. Officer James Brooks, uh, who's with the Albany Police Department. Lieutenant James Jay Gerace with the Town of Colony Police Department, Chad Rice of the Town of Bethlehem, Timothy Leonard, a special agent with the FBI, Lieutenant William Mail with the Rotterdam Police Department. Constantine of Union College Police Department. They have come tonight. These aren't their working hours. Uh, they're not speaking tonight. And what they hear, they know and have written books on. But gentlemen, Thank you so much for being here this evening. Very (laughs) meaningful There's an ancient purse. I'm sure you're all familiar with it. May may we live in interesting times. Uh, It's an ironic expression. It's intended to reflect anxiety and concern about the present or even the future. Well, we live in interesting times, don't we? Don't get me wrong. There are many, many wonderful things that are happening in our community in our world. The economy's strong. That's great. We're living longer and healthier lives. Thank God, technology is producing these extraordinary changes that are enhancing the human condition. All good. All good. But there are some disturbing trends, some alarming trends in our society that I think we can all agree on. We should all be concerned about Polarization, the tribalization of this world we're living in. We should all be concerned about um, the coarsening of public discourse. We should all be concerned that larger and larger numbers of people seem to be losing confidence in our institutions to solve problems. But for our community, this community, the Jewish community, amongst the most alarming concerns, chilling concerns, the undeniable fact that we are experiencing an alarming rise in anti-Semitism, violent extremism by right-wing groups, and hate. And hate. And while American Jews of my generation, especially if you grew up in New York State, you didn't spend a passing moment worrying about your safety, at least I didn't blessed, although my grandparents told me about what they experienced in Russia and Lublin, and Poland. But nevertheless, there was that sense of comfort and security. And then came October 27, 2018. Shabbat. Saturday. In America. In Pittsburgh. A madman, screaming kill all the Jews, walks into a synagogue. And guns down in cold blood, 11 of our co religionists and four law enforcement officers. And that sense of security, all of a sudden, for all of us, I suppose, was shattered. So tonight, God bless the Federation because you should know for decades, Shelly Shapiro, Rob Kovach, and the, the extraordinary people at Federation have had meetings like tonight with rabbis before the high holidays, with security briefings from law enforcement. They've always been aware of the potential for a threat. But the leadership, Bob Finkel, Federation, thought well, we need to broaden the universe of people who hear about the security steps that are taken in our community by these blessed human beings every day to help us and to answer your questions. But before we hear from our friends in law enforcement, speaking of blessings, we have tonight the privilege, the blessing of a person who truly needs no introduction in this community. In fact, he needs no introduction in any synagogue in America. He is a treasure, it's an American Jewry. We have with us one of the foremost experts on a million different things, but as it happens in terms of the relevance of tonight of anti-Semitism, past, present, and its current rise. I don't have to tell you about his credentials. We merely say, Stephen Burke.
2: Thank you,
3: Hank. That was a lovely introduction. I think I've told some of you before, if some of my students were here, they would say, ha, what a man this Burke is. He's a legend in his own mind.
2: That's what they would say. So I thank
3: you. That's just a light up what is a somber somber. I thank you, good evening, I thank you all for coming here. Let me begin by quoting Plato. Plato said that only the dead have seen the last of war. I'm here to tell you that only dead Jews have seen the last of anti-Semitism. In our country, anti-Semitism has always been there, right from the very beginning. But it was never a major impediment to Jewish social mobility. Never. Except for one time, in the 1920s and the 1930s. That's the only time in American history when prominent men and women, in this case prominent men, endorse the anti-Semitic impulse. I'm talking about Charles Lindbergh, Henry Ford, and Father Koch. When people of influence and affluence endorse anti-Semitism, then the Jews are in for a difficult time. This was a time, for example, in my own institution, Union College, had a quota on Jews, and steadily a quota on Italian Catholics from about the, 19, the early 1920s, down to 1965. So it has always been there, but by and large, it has not been a major problem for the American Jewish community. Hatred has always been there, certainly racism has always been there. It really surged, let us say, in the first years of the 21st century. It began to really increase dramatically under President Obama. Of course, that was because there were some people who thought it was not right to have an African American as president. Most of the hate in that period of time, that is in President Obama's period, was directed against African Americans. Other people were hated, and other people suffered, but most of the hate was directed against African Americans. Now, in the last two years, things have changed a bit. There is a dramatic upsurge, as you have heard, in anti-Semitism. In fact, there are areas in this country where 60% of all of the hate crimes that are directed against Americans really are directed against Jews. Muslims have suffered, gays and lesbians have suffered, hatred is on the rise here. But the question that one is asked, what is the motivation? I must tell you from a historian's point of view, motivation is very, very difficult. Two things, I think, from the old antisemitism are not there now. One is religious-based antisemitism. That is not an issue in American life at the present time. If it is, it's for only a small number, a very, very small number of people. Also, uh, let us say the idea that Jews control the country. That is there, to a certain extent, among people on the far right. It is there, but it is not a major factor. What is there from the old days and from the new days is of course that for those people who have been left out in terms of the economy people who lead a marginal economic existence they too have begun to swing sometimes to the far left but in our country in the last two years they have really swung to the far right i would say to you that probably now again no one this is not mathematics we are talking about it's not chemistry and physics you cannot say a plus b produces c when you talk about motivation you're in a murky area i would suspect that the hatred against Jews in the last two or three years, if not more, is really a consequence of a number of things. The Jews are overwhelmingly, and I show you no bias here, are overwhelmingly major- in their majority, are liberal in their political inclinations. For those on the far right who believe that the liberals are leading the country to destruction, the Jews are going to be the target. <coughs> there is also, as everybody knows, considerable antipathy towards liberals within our country. Jews, by and large, are supportive of immigration reform and, of course, of having bringing in large numbers of immigrants, particularly those who find themselves under the gun. For those who do not like Muslims, for those who do not like Mexicans, for those who do not like all of, let us say, these various groups, uh, the fact that Jews support immigration is going to redound to their disadvantage in the hearts and minds of those people on the far right. There are some other issues involved here. Again, the old issue, the Jews are disproportionately represented in the press, the media is against the, against the people on the right, the media is not loyal to the country, and so on. My students accuse me of a multitude of sins. Waffling, I can assure you, is never one of them. So let's get right down, to use the old Jewish expression, let's talk pops. Is... Are there statements coming from leading authorities in our country? Do they, in fact, encourage or embolden anti-Semitism? Now, that's related to another question, is, are there more anti-Semites in America now than there were in a previous period of time? I'm not sure that that is correct. What is correct is that those people who are filled with hate really feel that this is the time they can speak out, now again, I'm not waffling here. Uh, I begin at the top. President Trump did not cover himself with glory in the aftermath of Charlottesville when he said there were good people on both sides. There are not good people on the side of those who try to blow up the synagogue, on the side of those who carry swastikas, and on the side of those who kill all the Jews. They kill all the Jews. But fair is fair. In the aftermath of Charlottesville, in the aftermath of that terrible incident in Pittsburgh, the president unequivocally has condemned anti-Semitism. He has said it again and again and again. I have made reference to the fact that that in the recent period, most of the anti-Semitic incidents have come from people on the far right. But there are people on the left who are also talking in in a rhetoric That is very, very much much unfortunate. That is, I'll give you an example. I don't mean to insult anyone here. I have studied anti-Semitism all of my life. I am a child of the Second World War. I grew up, fortunately, like Hank, not with a great deal of anti-Semitism, or no anti-Semitism at all, but I am a student of history. And I can tell you, the most vitriolic, the most hateful anti-Semitic speech by a public figure was uttered by Reverend Louis Farrakhan when he referred to the Jews as termites. And when asked the question, are you, do you hate the Jews, are you an anti-Semite? He replied, I don't hate Jews, I hate termites. This is powerful stuff. And while most of the attacks have come from the far right, eight police officers were gunned down by, in Texas uh, several years ago, and that was not by people on the right, that was by people on the left. So be very, very careful here. What are we to make of all of this? Don't panic. I will say it again and maybe even a third time. Don't panic. This is not the 1930s. In the 1930s, both in Europe and to a certain extent in our country, political figures, I already mentioned three of them, public figures, endorsed anti-Semitism. In Europe, it was the government, opposition parties, the police, virtually everyone in society endorsed anti-Semitism. Even in our own country, there were large numbers of people, organizations, that endorsed the anti-Semitic impulse. This is not 1938, it's not the 1930s. Today, there isn't a public figure in our country that will endorse anti-Semitism. There isn't a public figure in our country that will not condemn anti-Semitism. And those institutions in other countries, and even sometimes in our own country, that will bias, that is no longer the case. The police are our friends here. The FBI is our friend. The municipal authorities are our friends. That's something to keep in mind. In the capital district, would I say to you, i I be a liar if I said to you, there are no haters in the capital district? Of course there are. Are there anti-Semites in the capital district? Of course there are. But the environment, the political and intellectual environment in this area in which we live, is not conducive to those people expressing their views publicly or doing something in a very hostile way, in a physical way, against Jews or anybody else. The number of hate crimes is not very, very large in our area. And in the country at large, be it Pittsburgh, be it in a number of other places, nearly all of the incidents were carried out by individuals. Whether they were mentally unbalanced, whether they were mad, who am I to say? I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a psychologist. But because they have been taken or perpetrated by individuals, not by large conspiratorial organizations, That's the difference between now and the 1930s, along with all of the other differences. So once again, don't panic. Listen to the police. Listen to the authorities. Listen to the specialists. Listen to the advice that they give us. Trust in our compatriots. Trust in the intrinsic decency of the American people and of the people in the capital district. And thank God, every day of your life, for the fact that we live in this wonderful country. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Professor, for those remarkable words. Uh, we now turn to the men that Professor Burke told us we need to listen to. And we start first with one of the truly extraordinary law enforcement agencies, not just in the American world, Federal Bureau of Investigation. Today, we have the privilege of hearing from a special agent who spends an enormous amount of time worrying for us. I will tell you, from my own five years in the Justice Department, the FBI is the best of the best, and it is my privilege to introduce Andrew Zubing.
4: Thank you all, Professor. It's going to be a hard speech to follow. Uh, Thank you all for having me tonight. As I said, I'm a special agent with the FBI, and I work out of the Albany field office. Uh, if I may share a little bit of a personal story, I am from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So whenever October 27th happened, it kind of rattled my home, uh, my home city and my family to its core. And my wife was hired by a renowned Jewish doctor that works for the University of Pittsburgh. So during October 27th, we were very concerned. So it's only appropriate that I speak tonight. Uh, at the FBI of Albany, I worked uh, strictly domestic terrorism cases, so as the professor alluded to, the anti-Semites uh, along with a host <coughs> of other people that are in the United States that commit domestic terrorism uh, acts, I investigate those. So Ms. Shapiro uh, invited me to come speak and have a meeting with her following the October 27th tragedy that had occurred, and of course there were things to talk about and concerns to, to address. So she invited me here tonight to talk a little bit about what the FBI does and how we handle those things. So I work on the Joint Terrorism Task Force, which is a conglomerate of all the local, state, and federal agencies. So all the people that you're going to hear from tonight that are in uh, law enforcement, I work hand-in-hand with them daily. So coming here tonight is kind of like a small family reunion, talking to some of the people that we work with day in and day out. So what does the Joint Terrorism Task Force do? What we do is we work in an area that has FBI agents, state police, local police, and all the federal agencies all working in one room together so we can share information hand in hand. So if there's something that's happening in a small community, if there's something that's happening with the state police, there's information that the FBI gets, we can easily talk to to one another amongst ourselves and solve pretty tumultuous problems, uh, things that we couldn't do on our own, we can work together and solve those issues. Where the community comes in to play is giving uh, us, the local police, uh, Ms. Shapiro, people that you trust in your community, if you see something, you all need to say something. A lot of the tips that we get uh, from people are what solve investigations or stop things before they happen. As the professor alluded to, there are not things that I can tell you exactly the mold that fits somebody that's going to commit uh, a hate crime or a domestic terrorism incident. Terrorism, like drugs, doesn't discriminate. So there's people of all nationalities, all colors, all races that commit these horrible atrocities. If we knew what what the indicators were that would prompt something like this, I wouldn't have a job, and the person that would discover that would have a Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, So there isn't one thing that I can tell you to look for, but if there's something that is out of the ordinary, typically those are the things that people report and tell to the local police that then get told to the state police or get told to the FBI and we solve crimes together. So that begs the question, well, what, what is it that I should report, or what is it that I should look for? That's a tough question to answer. The FBI's two main missions that we do are support the Constitution, uphold the Constitution, and protect the American people. The Constitution protects people that have free speech. That being said, there are some repugnant things that people post to say that aren't against the law. Uh, so we do protect free speech, although we don't agree with a lot of the free speech that people post. Uh, they're they're entitled to do it. However, hate speech and acts of violence are not protected, and even things that are rising to the, those sort of coming to the line in today's climate are things that we need to address. And, and Ms. Shapiro has talked about some of the things, and we have discussed. And Mr. Leonard has a lot of the things uh, out in the community that he he's discussed with people. And the FBI can be the ones, or the state police, the local police can be the ones that can kind of address these issues and decide whether or not we to proceed forward with them. We have many investigative tools, a lot of covert platforms that we can't talk about uh, due to the sensitivity of the nature, but I trust you that the FBI, the state police, local police, and everybody involved is doing everything they can to ensure that you are safe. And if I could borrow a quote from the director of the FBI, he was speaking and he was asked about the FBI and how to describe it, and he had a quote that really... Summarize what it is that we do. And he said, we're less show horse, and more plow horse. And what he meant by that is the men and women of the FBI and law enforcement at large are constantly working to make sure that you all are safe. I can't say enough about what it is that the FBI and the state police and local police do on a day-to-day basis and the problems that we encounter, but I can assure you that, that there are many instances that are stopped that the, that the American people would never hear about. About a week ago, the FBI published a report on domestic terrorism and terrorism in the United States. And I was astounded at the work that the men and women of the FBI are doing. So occasionally there is going to be an incident. I don't know how often. I don't know how frequently it's going to happen. But occasionally that one person that isn't part of a larger group, that is a needle in the haystack, amongst other needles in the haystack, occasionally it's going to happen. But how do we prevent it? By you all recording it or speaking to your your community leaders and recording it up. And there's many cases, there's many points to be made of the successes of that. So if you're questioning something, something doesn't look right. As the saying says, if you see something, say something. Thank you all for having me tonight. If you have any questions, Ms. Shapiro has my contact information, as I'm well aware. And you can direct it towards her, And and, uh, Happy Holidays, I know that Hanukkah is starting this Sunday. Thank you. Thank you Special Agent Zivik. It
1: is also uh, a real pleasure today that we have with us another extraordinary world-class law enforcement agency, a representative of the New York State Police. Uh, Nikki Koval is um, an investigator with the Counterterrorism Counterintelligence Terrorism Unit. We really look forward to your remarks.
5: Good evening, everyone. I'm investigator Nikki Koval. I work out of SP Latham, and I'm assigned to the New York State Police uh, CTIU, or its Counterterrorism Intelligence Unit. Um, as for us, what we do is we are the out extension of the New York State Intelligence Center, which is now headquartered in East Greenbush. And the New York State Intelligence Center services everything outside the five boroughs of New York City. New York City has their own Intel Center that services that those areas. So um, what happens is when a lead or a tip comes in, the Intel Center first disseminates it. That's that disseminates it to us as well as Members of the JTTI, such as Andy Zubik, we work together with the FBI to determine what needs to be done with this case. Um, sometimes it's left at the state level, and sometimes it elevates to the federal level, and then from there we, we may jointly um, investigate it with the FBI. Um, as for my uh, expertise, um, prior to coming to the current terrorism intelligence unit, I worked 11 years in gangs where I specialize in outlaw motorcycle gangs and hate groups, um, such as white supremacists, prison gangs, um, and so forth. My expertise wasn't as much with the street gangs, but one thing I can, uh, you know, stress is, um, where the level of hate does arise. is, an example would be the outlaw motorcycle gangs. Take example of the Hell's Angels. Recently, the Hell's Angels, they love to portray themselves as great philanthropists with their Toys for Tots, um, volunteering for, uh, what do you call it, um, the Salvation Army as the bell ringers. Well, if you Google it recently in the news, the Salvation Army had to dismiss them as bell ringers because out in the Midwest, they were wearing their house angel cusp vest or wherever you want home, And on the side, they have Aryans. And on their, you know, hats, their vests, they had the SS lightning bolts, and we all know how derogatory and how hateful that is to the Jewish community. So, with that being said, the, you know, Salvation Army had to dismiss them, and their spokesperson for the Hells Angels put out a statement saying the Aryan word on their vests was just be- saying because they were members that were white. Come on. <laughs> So, it it goes on everywhere. And, you know, as for the professor and what he said, you know, by fearing, we're letting them win. You know, and that's the main thing. I had the pleasure of going and listening to many lectures by Dr. Isaac Ashkenaz. I don't know if anybody's familiar with him, but he's um, a professor of emergency um, disaster uh, preparing. And, um, you know, basically what he says in Israel is they try to, you know, as opposed to the difference here in the United States, when an incident happens there, they clean it up, they get rid of it. They don't want any remembrance of what happened. As for the United States, what we do, we enact memorials for everybody that died. And in his words, is, he was saying, we're letting the terrorists win by doing that. And by worrying, we're letting the hate groups and the terrorists win. So you know, the best thing to do is you know, continue to enjoy your life. You know, not, not, don't let these people get the best. And, you know, and that was one of the things I took home from the doctor and his presentation and um, the lectures that I got to. I had the pleasure of uh, attending. So what, is, what do we do on an everyday basis? Um, as for me and my group, I work with John Casey. He may have uh, spoke, I think, in the summer when I was out on maternity leave. And then we have a new member in our group, um, Brian Bonanno. So we're a three-person team, and we cover a pretty large area. Our area is known as Counterterrorism Zone 5 in New York State. Um, And we service everything from Washington, Warren County, Rensselaer County, Albany County, Schenectady, Skaharie, Fulton, Montgomery, and Saratoga County. So we cover a big area. Um, We investigate the leads that come in. Um, Some are going to be more criminal. Some are more counterterrorism. But we also do outreach. Many of you may have had the pleasure of me visiting or maybe Brian Bonanno, John Casey just came back from sick leave. So he has not been involved in any of the outreach, but it's a slow go and we're trying to reach out to every one of you. But um, it's part of Operation Safeguard is the outreach that we do. So basically we visit a multitude of um, entities, right from Home Depot to Lowe's to religious institutions to schools, hospitals, doctor's office, veterinary's office, Mm -hmm. and the list goes on. Anything that could be vulnerable or um, could pose or, um, a threat or, you know, somebody can um, purchase items from, you know, to create whatever, a bomb or whatever, you know, they want to do to um, cause a crime. So we do these outreach, and from there we try to train the community, um, the sector, business, whatever it is that we're visiting, is to what to look for. We give guidelines on what to look for, but we should not you know, just strictly go by those. You know, when we, when we talk about what to look for, it's what is out of the norm from your daily you know, life. You know, if you see somebody outside that doesn't look like they belong, that might be a reason to call. If somebody starts asking, you know, weird questions, that might be a reason to call. If you see a vehicle that normally is not there or keeps driving around the building, that might be a reason to call. Whatever makes your hair stand up, that would be something to call on. Um, so that's what our outreach is, and then we take that information we get from the outreach, and we put it into—I hate the word database. It's actually a resource for law enforcement and the community. It's called um, Operation Safeguard, and basically, the information we get—it might be the business contact, their address, the best phone numbers, while you know the business phone numbers and office phone numbers, or um, home numbers of you know, the per- people in charge, um, email addresses, and then business attributes, um, which might be exterior, interior cameras, do they have a secured entry, floor plans, um, evacuation plans, and so forth. Um, and we can actually upload floor plans, and we do this for the schools. So at an instant, in a moment's notice, if something happens, any person in New York State that's in law enforcement can access this database and pull up a floor plan. And we can find out what those location attributes, do they have cameras in the area? Are, you know, an ATM, ATM has a camera, and it might be a tool. And, and these tools aren't just used for counterterrorism and, you know, crimes, you know, involved in that. Say a homicide happens down the road, you may use that database to find out who has cameras in the area, and then go reach out to those business businesses to see if we can access their footage.
4: Because who knows, maybe the car that's involved drove around the block
5: and pulled into the parking lot momentarily. Um, maybe they used an ATM in the Stewart shop. Who knows? So it's, it's another tool. Um, for instance, was back at, um, a few years ago with the bombing at the Boston Marathon. Um, one of the key points to solving that crime was the video footage from one of the local bars. And the, the worst part about it, it was actually the benefit that that footage was almost going to be erased over because a lot of the surveillance footage on local businesses, you know, time-wise, might be every 30 days, five days, might get erased over, and they had just gotten there just in time before that footage was to be erased over, and that's where they were able to pick up the two brothers um, and watching them actually put down the bags, and that was like a key point to it. So this tool, um, like I said, it's a great resource, you know, and I, I, appreciate all the time that everybody's been giving us, you know, sitting down, talking to us, um, you know, and anything about strategizing. And I can tell you, you know, locally, um, some of the leads that we've received in the last couple of years, you know, there's been a few, you know, hate incidents, um, not an exuberant amount. We had, and the worst thing is, the ones that happened out in like Fulton Montgomery County, um, with a local KKK group out there, it was like four or five members, it was appalling that the newspaper actually gave them a platform and that, that actually, you know, I was really appalled that the newspaper actually did like a several day spread on these, these five, six knuckleheads. Um, and then, you know, a couple months later, they surfaced up in Saratoga path, passing out their pamphlets for the local, you know, KKK. You know, putting them on cars, passing them out, um, and then uh, the other incident we had um, recently was uh, the Daily Stormer down in the Poughkeepsie area, passing out their propaganda. Um, basically, you know, after Judge Kavanaugh got voted in, you know, they had, were handing out flyers at Marist and Vassar College with you know anti-Semitic statements, you know, pictures on it, basically saying it was the Jews' fault that Kavanaugh got voted in. It's amazing, um, but locally that's pretty much about it that we've gotten reported. And like the professor said, it is minimal locally, um, you know. And I, I think that might be a little bit of you know comfort to know that there hasn't been that much. Um, and then you know a little bit further out, recently we had down Binghamton um, some swastikas painted by Binghamton, High, you know, near Binghamton High School. And I'm just vouching for you know everything that's upstate. Um, you outside of New York City, you know, more in this region. So it, it has been minimal, <coughs> and you know, it's just, you know, comforting to me. Um, with that being said, I mean, is there you know, anybody any questions for me? No questions. Okay, no questions. No questions. Right. <laughs> okay.
2: Oh. <laughs>
6: Uh, I'm Protective security advisor for the Albany area and uh, for the most part what that does is uh, I'm a physical security specialist and critical infrastructure uh, specialist for the uh, Albany area and I have the uh, pleasure of uh, well, one of my jobs is to uh, go to a lot of companies, assess their uh, security uh, uh, that they have <laughs> and uh, give them a uh, report back on it. Prior to uh, coming to uh, to DHS, uh, about uh, 12 years ago, uh, I was with uh, Secret Service for uh, 22 years with assignments in the New York office, Albany, White House division under uh, Bush and uh, Clinton, Bush 41. Uh, Then I did uh, seven years in uh, training or taught uh, Office of Survival and Protective Detail training and in your 19th year, when you think you have a little bit of control of where you want to go, and I have a daughter in high school, and all I want to do is stay in D.C., guess what? Your job says United States, and you wind up in Cincinnati. And the Secret Service, Ohio, Southern Ohio, was ground zero. So there was no difference between being on the detail and being in Ohio. So uh, a few things what I would like to uh, to talk about. One is uh, uh, going to be a little bit on uh, personal security, and the other is uh, survival. On the uh, a security side, I go to a lot of uh, companies, and what do they want? They want the bells and the whistles. Okay, I need an alarm system. I need CCTV. I need access control. I need all these things, okay? You know what? They're great, but the, way, the greatest asset that any company has is the people that are there, okay? Because I've been to institutions that have all these things, and guess what? The smokers run over. They disconnect the alarms. They disconnect, the, they prop open the doors, and why? Because they all want to go out to, uh, to grab a smoke. So you have all this great security apparatus, and the people, disabled. Now on the other hand, I've been to a company, didn't have any security. When I talked to a security manager there, he says, I don't need security. Every one of my employees are my security. So it's like, all right, fine. Uh, Pulled off my tag, and decided, let me just go walk around. Because 90% of the time, I walk around uh, companies, and everybody, I know nothing. Okay, they don't want to get involved, all right? Because it's not my job, I have security, and that's their job.
4: First person
6: I see, can I help you? Not only can I help you, I'm going to take you to where you're supposed to be, all right? Second time around, same thing happened in the afternoon. What does that say Okay, it's the eyes and the ears. It's if you want to call it, to see something, say something. Okay, those are the important things. And when you have everyone in your community buying in and seeing something and saying something, that's the most important thing that you can that you have. New York State has uh, uh, one of their uh, mantras is. You know what's in your everyday life, okay? Nobody else does. The other thing is, if you want to call it, because what is that? That's instinct. uh, Looking at a number of uh, incidents that's happened over uh, the, uh, uh, the past few years, the instincts are there. People see it, but you know what? They don't act on it. Uh, there was one uh, uh, San Bernardino, you had uh, two subjects, husband and wife come in, and uh, a lot of people they clamored for, uh, okay, I have my security, I want the security guard out front. Guess what the, uh, guess what the security guard is, early warning, okay? It's the alarm, alright, something's going on. I don't know, what did I do for, uh, for 22 years, I was the alarm, okay? Especially for the first seven, I was the out of okay? And that truly is, uh, that's the, that's the doorbell we're coming, okay? Uh, so you had the armed security out front, the subjects came in, shot armed security, they went upstairs, and they had active shooter training, uh, the uh, San Bernardino uh, Public Works, it was a holiday party, and, uh, the the initial response from a number of people was disbelief. Someone says, Oh gee, they really amped up the training here. You have people coming in, firing guns, and you're saying training is realistic. Okay? You have you have this sense that, okay, something's wrong, but are you taking are you actually uh uh, uh Taking uh, notice of it and acting on it. alright? Does it happen just with uh, with guns? Okay. No. Let's look at uh, duck boat at tabletop lake. Okay. Now, I don't like to criticize, and it's always easy if you want to call it Monday morning uh, quarterback. But what happened? People went out and. Did they see uh, the waves coming in? Captain did his proverbial, got nothing to worry about, I made this trip uh, a thousand times, everything's going to be okay. Uh, If your hair is standing up, and you are saying, and you have time to get out your iPhone and text your, uh, I'm in the boat, and I'm not sure whether it's going to come out okay, what are they gonna do? There's life preservers up ahead, up above. Do something,
1: take some action.
6: Hey captain, could you go over and uh, tell us how to put on the life preservers again? Oh, and by the way, could you go over the evacuation plan and how we're supposed to get out of here? And uh, these windows, how do they open? Uh, was any of those things done? No. They were waiting. What were they waiting for? The captains tell you to put on your life preservers, okay? Now, granted, if you're on a cruise boat, you're a thousand miles from shore, fine. But you can see land, you knew where the rollers were coming in. If I got a life preserver, I know in about 20 minutes I'm going to wash up on land, okay? It's seeing it, but not acting on it, okay? Uh, We run a... uh, Uh, scenario out at the uh, uh, training, the Secret Service uh, Training Center, and uh, if you want to call it, it's a uh, standing training center. If you want to call, I should say, uh, one of the scenarios is uh, protecting gets out, starts uh, moving towards uh, towards the rope line, shots go off, and uh, naturally the agents are uh, out to act. We had this one supervisor very, very thorough, new, and his mantra was nobody does anything unless I tell them to. Alright? I think you know exactly where the story is going. Alright? Okay? Very good. The shift ran well. But as always, it starts off with a bang, and you tell me for a one one thousand, two one thousand, three one thousand, what did we see? After shift, stand there. And the other one, start to move, and why? They were waiting for tell for somebody to tell them to do something, okay? When you see something out there, and you know, don't wait for somebody to t- tell you to do it. Do it. Take some action. Uh, I always like to say, uh... Is it wrong to cheat a little bit? Okay. Does anybody really know what a sound is going to make, uh, A sound of the gunshot is going to make? No. In fact, in Pittsburgh, I think uh, uh, the rabbi, when he heard the, uh, the gunfire, he thought it was a coat rack, uh, uh, you know, coming, uh, coming down. Do you really know? No. Okay. How about when something uh, when it happens? It's time to go to the bathroom when I hear a bath. Okay. What does that mean? Okay, I'm already up. I'm already going somewhere, and if I hear a second bang or a thud, guess what? I'm in full sprint mode. Okay, I'm going to uh, I'm going to the exit. The other thing is planning. Everybody runs their, everybody goes to. Oh, we've done active duty drills. Okay, but there's going to be a church. There's set work. What about all the other places that you go in your everyday uh, life, okay? Whether it's going to be to uh, to the big box stores, whether it's going to be to a supermarket, all right? If something happens, where are we going to go? We're going to go to uh, out the exit where we came, all right? No. Where does all the... uh, a couple. where does all the, uh, the stock uh, come in from? There's all exit doors there, there's, uh, there's bathrooms there, everything else like that. Start to go through the stores that you've been to. And, right, that's the door, that's the door, that's the door, that's the, uh, that's the bathroom. Start looking, start doing a reconnaissance. So if something happens, you already have a plan. One of the things is, if there's, a, if there's an incident, do you want to be executing a plan? or do you want to be formulating one, okay? You would definitely want to be executing it. That gives you the confidence, knowing where uh, you're, uh, you're going.
4: Next thing is
6: uh, one of the uh, scenarios that, uh, uh, that we run is in, uh, for uh, active shooter drills, and it's run high pipe. For officer survival and safety, it's shielding distance movement. Okay, I initially want to go uh, to shielding. All right, uh, I want to create distance. The further I am from the subject, the less things he can do to me. The further, further I uh, away I am, the better shot he has to be. And I'll always trust my training over his. Uh, next thing is. Movement, moving the target is always going to be uh, harder to hit. Uh, so we have a, uh, a drill. Officer walks down the uh, uh, the hallway probably about 1,500 feet down. Subject comes out and uh, <coughs> shoots. Officer can uh, do one of two things. Either he can throw his firearm, return fire, or move over to uh, an open doorway, get shielding, I already gave you the answer, what do we want to do? We want to go to uh, shielding. Okay, why do you want to do that? Even if you have a gun that you want to uh, uh, confront the subject, neutralize the threat, for the two or three seconds that it's going to take you, even if you have a gun, to draw your gun and neutralize the, uh, uh, the subject, guess what? Two or three rounds just score, four rounds you just came uh, downrange, and you may not be so lucky. Now, in doing that drill, the other thing that happens when it comes to, if you want to call it uh, survival, everything all starts up here. Mental. If the officer thinks, oh, my expletive, I'm going to die, is that a recipe for survival? Hopeful failure. Okay? If the officer comes in and says, this is my lucky day, he shot, I missed, I have a job to do, and I'm going to do it. Okay? Which is the correct mental frame of mind? Okay? It's all mental. We start looking at uh, at uh, sports figures. Alright? They train. They go through slumps. They're the same person that they were, but what happened? It's mental up here. okay. Over and over and over again, it's the mental thought. And that's something that, uh, on the survival, it's very, very difficult to, to teach, but that's what you have to, uh, uh, to drill in. Alright? Uh, I think my time is up. And uh, most important of all, what I would like to, uh, to conclude with is, as I said, trust your judgment. Don't be waiting for somebody to tell you what to do. Because if they don't, or they get sidetracked, you don't want to be one of the casualties.
2: Thank you. Final
1: thought (coughs) in the coverage massacre at the Tree of Life was sometimes not given much attention to, is that in addition to the 11 Jews who were killed, four law enforcement officers were injured. Three were shot, one critically. So the three people that you heard from, the officers that are here, these are people along with first responders who put themselves in harm's way keep us safe. Please join me in thanking all of them.